It's a twofer, really. Because I caught this story over at Politico, and I'm like, man, I am hoping this is true. Regarding putting an end to the tyranny of agencies in America. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's great to be with you. I'm like, man, I got to talk to William Jacobson about this. Cornell Law Professor of the Mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. And then I'm over at LegalInsurrection.com. And I read, Washington State Supreme Court imposes different standards on police seizures for whites and BIPOC, which stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. And I said, oh, oh, it's a twofer today. William Jacobson joins us right now, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com. Let's start with Washington State, because you share uh, the language that they use in in their decisions and they are what they're saying is if police are involved in a lawful stop detention or arrest the idea of even asking for id has to be measured against the skin color or the race of the possible suspect and if the suspect or or a possible suspect is uh, of color that might be an unlawful seizure that's what they're saying right well, that's, that's right. What it is, the context is a little nuanced, is that somebody was in a car, police at, in the middle of the night, sleeping there with somebody else in a high crime area. They knocked on the window, asked him for identification. He gave them false name and false date of birth. When they went back to the police car to check it, they took off in their car. So, it's, uh, you know, the, the car escape has been charged, convicted. That's not challenged. But whether he can be prosecuted for giving the policeman false information turns on whether he was, quote unquote, seized at the time, because if he so did the police need a warrant to ask him for identification. And what the court said is that the sweeping ruling, I mean, they clearly chose this case, even though it really didn't warrant it to announce a new policy going forward and the new policy going forward that and and I don't I've never seen a court use the term BIPOC B-I-P-O-C so that's black indigenous and other people of color that's the way the court described it if a BIPOC person is involved you have to take race into account in terms of whether this constitutes the person being seized meaning they don't feel comfortable leaving they don't feel that they have the ability to leave whereas a white person in the same circumstance might feel the ability to leave. So it creates this real schism in the law that how a suspect is treated under the law and whether evidence can be used and whether they're deemed seized as a constitutional matter turns on whether they are white or not. And and it really is a clear distinction because BIPOC is this vague, unclear term that has come into fashion only in the last two years. Uh, And I prove that in my post. It's like the new trendy term. So if you are BIPOC, you have essentially a presumption that being asked for information from the police is a seizure. Now, the police could rebut it, could could say other things. Um, But if you're white, you don't get that presumption. It's really a horrible, horrible ruling. And it's what you would expect at a campus tribunal, not at the Supreme Court of how does. How does the Supreme Court of Washington State come to a place that clearly is engaging separate but equal? I mean, outsider looking in, not a lawyer, didn't even play one on TV. I saw three episodes of Matlock in my whole life. But it clearly is engaging the idea of separate but equal in this, aren't they? Well, what they're saying is that, yes, you treat um, BIPOC 
um, which is such a broad term. Um, it, it basically means non-white, but it's even vaguer than that, because who would be BIPOC? Well, Elizabeth Warren might because she claimed to be Native American, so she claimed to be indigenous. It's a, a, a really vague term, but what it's clearly meant by the court is anybody who's not white. That's when you read it in context, that's what they're talking about. And, and two separate standards. Now, it would be one thing, and there was a, the, this court cited to a court in New Hampshire um, and some vague language in some other federal cases that race can be a consideration. It's not barred. And, and I think we could imagine circumstances where perhaps the policeman made some comments about race that might, uh, as an evidentiary matter, make that person who is the target of the comments feel they couldn't leave. They didn't have that free will to leave. So it, it's one thing to say that race might be on the facts of a particular case. Um, a relevant consideration as to when whether somebody's been seized. But this doesn't go there. This is everybody, anybody who is BIPOC enters into that relationship with the police um, with the presumption that there is systemic racism and that they are going to be treated unfairly. And therefore, they don't feel free to leave, whereas a white person might be. And so they are seized. And, you know, who who is included in BIPOC? I mean, it's not just black Americans. It's indigenous, whatever that means. It is people, person of color. What does that even mean? Uh, because some of the things I cited in my, my post about this is that the survey data and the academic data shows that various non-white groups have very different experiences with the police, have very different perceptions of the police, have very different perceptions of policing, but to lump them all into one basket and call it BIPOC and treat them like they are fungible people um, just because their skin tone might be a little uh, more than white. And of course, how do we know what person of color even means? Because how much color do you need in your skin? Is somebody from Southern Europe a person of color? I mean, there are people from Southern Italy and from Sicily who, you know, uh, their skin color is certainly darker than somebody from Norway. So, you know, this is just an absurd standard. It's something you would expect from a campus DEI office. uh, And now it's the law, uh, according to the Supreme Court of the state of Washington. It's it's madness. You bring up some wonderful points about how do you determine these things and the whole idea uh, in terms of, of color and ethnicity and, and then the whole idea of, of feeling comfortable to believe comfortable to leave or, or not is that seems rather subjective to the outsider looking in talking to William Jacobson Cornell law professor the mind behind legal now. All eyes have been on the Supreme Court regarding the Roe v. Wade decision and will there be an overturning? We know that we've got the the draft leak of Justice Samuel Alito that would show a 5-3 decision, doesn't include John Roberts in this draft, about overturning Roe v. Wade, returning abortion as a conversation uh, to, to the states. And there's a conversation about uh, this leak and why don't we know who the leaker is uh, yet? But one of the other stories Politico brought up And it was about the idea that the EPA power or EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, their power to restrict greenhouse gases could be restricted because, as we've seen in the agency class, they're given this unlimited power. They can make regulations. They have the full force and effect of law. And there's really nothing the American people can do about it. 
But the argument is, is that a John Roberts court, Chief Justice John Roberts, always believes that it's the legislature that really needs to be doing the heavy lifting. So are the agencies usurping the power of the legislature, which is the power of the people, to have their representatives make laws? What do you know about what's in front of the Supreme Court right now, and where do we think this is going to go? Well, uh, the lead case, and there are several consolidated cases, is West Virginia versus EPA. And it has to do with a provision uh, under the Clean Air Act that was passed that basically says to the EPA, go do whatever you want to do to bring down greenhouse gases. Okay, and of course, as we know that so it essentially gives them complete control over the economy to do whatever they want to do. Uh, and, And that's the issue. You know, there is no provision in the act as a legislative matter that tells the APA what to do. But the question becomes, can you essentially delegate this legislative authority to the EPA as an agency uh, under a vague mandate and say, you know, now you have control of the U.S. economy, essentially. Anything that involves you know, uh, greenhouse gases, anything that involve, involves carbon, you know, you, you can now do whatever you want to do. Uh, and, and that's essentially this vague provision has given to the EPA and, and it's being challenged that you can't do that. You can't just essentially designate an agency as a super legislature to do anything it wants to do with regard to the economy. And so the the argument is and I, I, I didn't listen to the argument, but I've seen reviews of the oral argument. The uh, reviews are predicting that this will fall, that this will fall. And then the question becomes, what kind of ripple effect does that have throughout the federal bureaucracy? Because one of the big issues is you have a permanent bureaucracy that uh, acts like a legislature, not just on this, but on, you know, a hundred different things. And so this could be, I've seen the term, you know, the unraveling of the administrative state, things like that. And maybe it will be, maybe it won't be, but I think people are expecting this provision to fall. So when the provision falls, it it ends the, you know, I refer to it as the tyranny of the agencies, this this fourth branch of government that that it's become. It is it is it requiring that it, one of the things that the, the article discusses is the idea of major decisions, not necessarily minor decisions. Has there been any conversation of how that is delineated major decision versus minor decision? And is there any conversation that you've heard about what happens when the agencies can't go about doing what they've done? And now Congress has to deal with the full weight of their job versus peace mealing out parts of their job and what their response is well it will increase the the workload on our lazy congress uh and it probably (laughs) will result in nothing getting done because this is and that's why you know this is such a hot button issue that you know the, the the new green deal all of these sort of things are predicated on reducing the whole nation's carbon footprint even though without these regulations is being reduced anyway so the question, you know, so this is something that really empowers the federal government. And, you know, I, I don't think people really know what's going to happen. A lot will depend, obviously, on the language that the Supreme Court uses you bring in the up, decision deciding it. You bring up uh, the Green New Deal, talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. You bring up the Green New Deal, and that's just a great example of what it is that the the 
political left, and and I guess you could find cases, I I would be a fool to say that there haven't been moments where the political right has done it, but we see so many cases on the political left, when they can't get something done via the vote, they utilize the courts, or they utilize agencies to do their work for them. So in in if you were, as, as an observer, looking at the overturning of Roe v. Wade, or the overturning of this, there's there's the idea of two things, uh, the shock value and then the long-term effect. If you were ranking these two decisions, if, if uh, Roe v. Wade got overturned and this idea about agencies got overturned and Congress actually has to do his job, which one has the more overarching effect on our lives? Uh, I, well, politically, there's no question that Correct. the Mississippi abortion case, I mean, there's there's going to be an explosion. Um, you know, Democrats are already threatening it. Chuck Schumer has threatened it. Joe Biden said there'll be a revolution. So, I mean, there's no question that in terms of our politics and everything else, the Roe v. Wade decision is the big one. I mean, it's going to be on the day it's released, like it was Obamacare in 2012, maybe even bigger, uh, you know. And so that is no question the big one. From a, a kind of a legal point of view, from a you know pinheaded legal point of view, the, the EPA one actually is more significant because uh, the Roe v. Wade decision really you know won't change a lot in most states. Um, you know it will change it in some states uh, because those states will then have the right, the ability to restrict abortion. But you know New York, Illinois, California have already announced they're going to become abortion tourist de- destinations. I think New York has a bill currently to subsidize people to come to New York. I don't know if it's been signed yet or it's about to be signed to subsidize people to come to New York for abortion. So uh, the access to abortions uh, may be limited in some states, but there will be uh, plenty of opportunity for people to have abortions, uh, whereas this administrative state thing from a purely legal point of view, taking out the po- politics will have far reaching ramifications for how the federal government conducts itself for decades. William Jacobson, find him at LegalInsurrection.com, LegalInsurrection.com, and check out the foundation as well and be supportive of that. Also, his work on critical race theory and sharing what's going on across the country. William Jacobson, always a pleasure. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz.